Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky, episode 29. Uh, after a brief stay with a couple relatives hanging out around the uh, east side in terms of Ontario, I've finally been able to make it all the way back home and get back on the Pacific timeline, so it's definitely been a nice way to come back and unwind and unpack and basically just reaccustom myself to being back on the West Coast and get back into the swing of things and just kind of feeling a good sense of familiarity and also being able to finally catch up with a couple of my friends and just see what's been happening over the past couple of months. But at least over the past two weeks, the summer 2021, well, technically 2020, Tokyo Summer Olympics has finally come to a close. And at this point in time, the only major nods and references that we can go through that were able to happen over the last half of these competitions. One of the more notable ones was Uzbekistan's rhythmic gymnastics team wore costumes very heavily inspired uh, by the original Sailor Moon, as well as a handful of other references to video games leading in through one of the boxers, the gold medalist Sina Irie. Considering that she's a huge fan of video games related to Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, she's honestly thinking that she might actually get herself into the video game industry as a whole after she finally retires. But then outside of that, we had two very major One Piece references. One through USA shot putter Peyton Oderhall, since he was able to do the uh, super Frankie like um, wrist pose like leading into one of his events. And then we also had the long jump gold medalist uh, Miletidis Tentoglo of Greece, considering that he was able to also bring in his own Luffy pump-up signature. And then, of course, to top it all off, in the closing ceremony, we were <laughs> Scott was able to perform a rendition of Lisa's Gorenge, considering that it was the opening theme song to now possibly the most well-known and successful shonens in the modern area, of course, with <laughs> Demon Slayer. I still can't believe that it's been this long and I'm still able to like just sneak in any bit of Demon Slayer in there, even though I think it's a pretty average series. Not really much to write home about. And then at the very end of it all, in terms of the medal standings, I would say Japan definitely did a good job in the sense that they came third in gold medals with 27, but then 58 medals in total. At least I'll give a shout out a bit to Canada, considering that we were able to hold out in 11th place overall with 7 gold medals and 24 overall, as well as the overall winners, the United States within the last two days accumulating the highest gold medal tally at 39 with a completely sweeping number of medals in total at 113 being the only country to achieve over 100 inside of that category. So it's definitely a bit unfortunate that because of the extenuating circumstances and the absolute surprise of a pandemic completely overhauling the entirety of the event as a whole, considering that everybody was really looking forward to it at the beginning of 2020 and really curious to see how they were actually going to incorporate every single reference and major cultural icon that they had at their disposal. But because of all of these unfortunate conflicts and just events that have happened over the past 18 months, the fact that they were even able to get it through and get it done at all is definitely nothing short of astounding, but still, there is a little bit of disappointment to be had to feel that we weren't able to get as much out of this major Olympic conquest as we maybe could have. Um, but in terms of at least one of their properties that have finally been able to get a handful of release dates over the past bit, we were finally able to get through a Pokemon Direct that we were able to get the release date for not only both Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, as well as Legends Arceus. 
whereas the two remakes are going to be coming out on November 19th, whereas Arceus is going to be making its debut on January 28th of next year, in 2022. And so I was chatting with a buddy of mine the other day, considering that I was trying to go back and think about how much time I did sink into this series as a whole, as well as what was the one that essentially took the most time um, out of my day and what was the most I ended up deciding to contribute to in comparison to everything else. Because I didn't play any of the first generation. I did play the remakes, um, Fire Red and Leaf Green, but I basically went from silver all the way to black and white and then basically everything between black and white 2 and ultra sun and moon i didn't decide to jump into it there was a handful of years where i didn't necessarily find the time and didn't necessarily give it a priority to try and go through a pokemon game every two years or so and so it was definitely one of those franchises that i just kind of left by the wayside and just decided to give different priorities a little more uh, time and a little more importance. And it wasn't until Pokemon Sword and Shield that I actually finally ended up getting back into the series as a whole. But now with Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl also being on the horizon, I'm really thinking if I'm actually going to jump into this as well, considering that I did end up buying several years ago the remakes for Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, but only getting about three gems into it before realizing, like, I same same deal, didn't give it enough priority, didn't give it enough time for me to actually go through it, even though I do have very fond memories of Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald in general. Because if I had to pick the three games that I spent the most time on, it would definitely be probably Soul Silver as the third, um, Emerald as second, and then Pearl as the first. Although it's just that even with Pearl, me having spent the most time on it, it still wasn't necessarily one that I remember a lot of. I have a lot, I have many more fond memories of Emerald and going through the majority of that because I do remember that being like my first Game Boy Advance title. I was able to have my uncle when I was very, very young. I've no, I still have, to this day, I have no idea how he did this. He was able to emulate Silver on one of my old PCs back at home when I was like seven or eight. It was just. It's one of those things where I have no idea how it got there, but I do remember getting all the way through that game and facing Red at the very top of Mount Silver. So it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, decision. I'm still sitting on The World Ends With You Neo as I downloaded it about two and a half weeks ago and I still haven't decided to open it back up and try and actually to give it a spin. Um, but I'll definitely be able to, probably once I jump into that game, not be able to put it down and crank that out over a week or two, but... In terms of if I do end up picking up um, probably Shining Pearl over Diamond, it's it's definitely a possibility. It's a, like, like I said before, it's not really going to be a priority in comparison to everything else that's going on. But if I do have that kind of time around November and December when it goes through, I mean, even through the holidays coming up, then yeah, maybe I'll actually be able to go through and jump back into Pearl and Diamond's world and kind of give that a spin again. But finally, even though we're several minutes into this and we haven't gotten anything nearly related to anime in this case, uh, the Tatami Galaxy's sequel novel, the Tatami Time Machine Blues, is going to get its own anime adaptation. And of course, this is also going to be done by Science Saru, as well as directed by One Punch Man Season 1 and Sunny Boy's Shingo Natsume. And so they're bringing back all of these recurring uh, staff members who were able to go through and had worked on the previous 
piece, which is the Tatami Galaxy, like uh, Makoto Ueda as the returning scriptwriter and Yusuke Nakamura as the returning character designer. There's just a lot... Not necessarily anything that I need to get hyped around, especially for this. It's going to be one of those where it's like, okay, I watched Atomic Galaxy, I loved it, and because of that, I ended up going through and going through a lot more Masaki Yuasa works. I ended up watching Night Ashore Walk on Girl. It is possibly my one of my favorite anime films of all time. And even though Masaki Yuasa is not going to be directing this sequel this time, I'm really interested to see how that is going to translate into its own work, because so far, what Sunny Boy has been able to do and accomplish in this season's anime of summer 2021, it's definitely possibly the front-runner of anime of the season, but there's a lot of ways that this can definitely go wrong, for sure. Because it's a near-original work, it's has so many opportunities to basically fall off and not necessarily reach a satisfying conclusion, but at that midway point, at episode 6, it is doing nothing but gaining momentum, so hopefully it's going to be able to keep that up. And on top of the fact that the original Tatami Galaxy manga, or not manga, novel, it's going to be getting an English publication in fall of next year. And at this point in time, the (laughs) the Tatami Time Machine Blues novel is also going to be getting a English publication in the summer of 2023. So maybe knowing that this is when the news is breaking, we're either going to get this uh, anime adaptation near the end of 2022 or at the beginning of 2023. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to translate. And at some point in time within the next year or so, I'm definitely going to have to go back and rewatch the Tatami Galaxy because even though I love it, (laughs) I love it so, and it's still near and dear to my heart, I haven't watched it since, like, 2013. The anime itself came out in 2010, but the fact that I it wasn't until at that point in time, and it's already been eight years since that stayed, I'm really curious to see if it's still, like, a 9 out of 10, and it's still, like, that clo- um, high up there in regard, even after all these years. And in terms of films, and heading back to the theaters, Mamoru Oshii's Ghost in the Shell is going to be getting IMAX screenings simultaneously in both Japan and the U.S. starting September 17th. Which is unfortunate because, of course, I would love to go see that, and I would have loved to have the opportunity to see that in one of my local theaters inside of Canada, but guess what? We're Canada, and we don't really get as many opportunities as the States does. Um, So... I'll definitely recommend anybody who hasn't seen the original Ghost in the Shell, when this comes out in September, go take the opportunity and give it a watch, especially considering that it is a 4K, a 4K, a 4K remaster. As even though the Blu-rays have already been going through and they've already made debuts inside of the UK when it was back in September of last year, because you're also able to get those as well on top of getting a metal cover and a hard cover. But the fact that you'd be able to go see this in IMAX 4K is just nothing short of sublime. And I wouldn't be surprised if anybody would be having a bad experience being able to relive a movie of that caliber and that quality. But then that kind of leads into um, the topic of this week, considering that I was finally able to get back and see my first movie in theaters since October of last year. Because the last two movies that I saw in theaters before everything got completely and permanently shut down would have been Tenet, and then it would have been Lupin the Third, the First, considering that it was a... Uh, 3D CG just animated rendition and film like following of the same quality and the same demeanor and the same colorful cast of characters that you have gotten used to seeing in every other Lupin work. 
And honestly, if anybody was looking to get into the loop on the third franchise, honestly, the first wouldn't necessarily be a bad option. If I had to give a personal recommendation, I would definitely point towards um, The Castle of Cagliostro, which was directed by Hayao Miyazaki, considering that it's not too much of a time sink, and if there's any, possibly just any film to get engrossed in the demeanor and the world surrounding Arsene Lupin III, then Castle of Cagliostro would definitely be the one I would recommend too, but... Honestly, the Lupin the Third, the first film that ended up coming out last year, is also a pretty good rendition if that's another one of the options that you've got. Considering that next season, we are going to be getting Lupin the Third Part 6, and I am really curious to see how that's going to work out uh, in the end. So definitely give all of those a watch. But in particular, the first animated film and just first film in general that I was able to finally go back and enjoy being in the cinemas again was the new Shiro Bako film. And so it was one of the films that I was really anticipating and really interested in seeing uh, coming out last year in 2020 as it debuted in February in Japan of last year. But then, of course, when everything being shut down in March, there would have been absolutely no opportunity for any of us to head back into the theaters and watch all the plethora of things that were going to be coming out within that time frame over the course of the summer of last year. But now, it did take a while. I'm pretty sure uh, Eleven Arts, like, had an opportunity, or they put out a screening of it in the States, like, um, in November of last year. But of course, because all the cineplexes were shut down in Canada, there was no way for us to be able to go through and see it. And so they ended up doing another screening that just ended up happening last week, and I was able to finally have the opportunity to go through and see one of the films that I've been waiting to see for at least over a year. And so... I'm going to probably say from here on out, it's going to be spoilers for not only Shirobako as well as its film, but then probably just a few tidbits of information on the second film that I'm going to be talking about later in the episode, which is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. So if you need any base recommendation without getting spoiled for anything, I would definitely recommend the original Shirobako anime as well as this film. They're both incredibly insightful and both incredibly charming with their large cast of characters as well as the conflict that they're able to go through, having it be not only an original, but an original that takes place inside of the anime industry as a whole. For everybody who is interested in getting a little bit of background information and being able to peek behind the curtain and see what you know the basics go through every kind of like hellish production cycle inside of any of the industries, then this would honestly be a good place. And I would definitely say that even though the movie is a little bit more of a condensed version of that, and it's not able to say as much as it wants to, it is still more than enough of an enjoyable watch for anybody who's still a fan of Shirobako. So I could definitely see anybody who would be interested in this kind of part of the industry and getting that from a different perspective should definitely go through and have the opportunity to watch this show. And then same deal with Neon Genesis Evangelion, 3.0 plus 1.0, 4.0, Thrice Upon a Time, whichever <laughs> title that you prefer, it is an incredibly satisfying and well-rutted conclusion to this entire monolith of a series that had been that has stretched for more than 25 years. So I would give both of these movies a glowing recommendation and to go see them at your own leisure. But at this point in time, now I'll basically get into the nitty-gritty. But now I'll basically get into the nitty-gritty. For the Shiro Bako film, I definitely stand by that it is still incredibly fun to go through and, like, see these characters 
for the first time in ages, because even though I didn't watch Shirobako when it was airing in 2014, I did end up picking it up near the end of 2015, um, having just heard nothing but glowing recommendations from everybody around, and just having a really solid time, and just having a really good, like, emotional whiplash, up and down sort of deal, where it's just kind of like everybody is... Like, mature is a very basic way of saying it, but it's just kind of like, look, these are all 20-somethings. These are all people who are looking for jobs. These are all people who are experts in their field. Some of them have more experience than others. Some of them are just getting into the industry. Some have different traumas related to it, but they still do it because of the passion of their work. Some are just really getting into it, but they need to know where their strengths lie and how they're able to survive in such a tumultuous workplace just like this. Like, everything is lined up from the perspective of all of these young adults to <laughs> major and senior characters inside of this colorful cast. There is no, like, patience. There is no wait for anybody who is not giving their all and nobody who, except for fucking Taro. I fucking hate Taro. It, people think it's charming, but it's like, dude, if there is... Which is kind of hilarious because I can't remember if it was the producer or the director who said... Um, oh yeah, no, the one who I empathized the most with and the one that I was the most similar with was Taro, because in the very beginning of me and my tenure being in the anime industry, I was very much like him, completely fumbling around my entire office, fucking a lot of things up and getting my superiors incredibly angry at me, but it was like, oh my god, dude. Well, you definitely got it right, because it took me a long, long, long while to get used to Taro, but near the end of it, when he was finally able to, like, befriend a new character or anybody else that was able to deal with his shit it was finally able to um get some get a good piece and to get a go around so the television series ends up going through two different arcs one arc is a original television series based on essentially the studio trying their run at an original title but which also insinuates a large risk with the second arc being on an adaptation of I can't remember if it was a light novel or a manga, but it is a straight-up adaptation, which then leads into all of its other unique struggles and trials and tribulations. And then finally, for the Shirabako film, it's the exact same thing, but here, we're basically doing a film within a film. It's going to be an anime film on making an anime film, which unfortunately gives it a little too much credit because the... One criticism that I did see and I definitely agree with is that this movie could have been a little more poignant if it was stretched out to a 10 to 12 episode series and just having it be its own arc. Considering that even though the film is nearly two hours long, the first half hour of it is basically setting up the problem, showing that everybody feels like shit. Almost everybody is in a worse off space than they were four years ago. Almost nobody is happy. Nobody is satisfied with the product that they just ended up putting out. But because of their recent failures that ended up going through, they actually had to go through and completely like re-evaluate and just rebrand this really strong and really like good um, fighter jet girls adaptation that they did in the first season, where apparently the second season now is this like fan servicey like romp of a series where it's just kind of like oh no all the clothes are blowing <laughs> all the clothes are blowing off and no none of these characters are being taken seriously and nobody seems like they were having a good sign about doing anything good about their job. The ivy has been growing around um, Musani Productions and it's become more dilapidated with fewer and fewer people. 
like, coming back to work and everybody else going off on their own ways. And so the first, like, 20 to 25 minutes of the film is, like, just a extended rendition of, like, the first episode where it's just, okay, we did a lot of good stuff now, but this is where we're sitting at and we're incredibly negative and we're all miserable and nobody's happy and nobody wants to live and nobody wants to be here. And then afterwards, the next, like, third of the film is getting the band back together to, like, make this movie, make this new project with a limited time frame and a limited budget and basically trying to get everybody underneath their umbrella for a production that doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to go through. It's... Although I will admit that it's not a deus ex machina that they were able to get out a film that where they only had like half of the original like regular time that they were able to go through. But thankfully, it's hand waved in a more understandable way in the sense that, no, this project that you're taking over doesn't have any storyboards complete. It's complete blank slate. All you need is the title of the series and the general idea that it's sci-fi, and you could do whatever you want with it. And thankfully, the one production that ended up getting halted halfway through, which was another original series that they all wanted to do, lined up very well and very neatly with the rest of it. So thankfully, the majority of the work had in pre-production had already been done leading up to it. So that was already... So at least it seems like it's like, oh, no, you have to now make a movie with half of the amount of time as a regular studio. And it's like, okay, well, it, it's fine because we already have half the work done anyways. And we just need to consolidate it into a 90 to 100 minute runtime. And so that was definitely um, like a much more cleaner way to settle it in. But yeah, it definitely took a while. It, it was nice to kind of see all these characters for the first time in six years actually like coming back into it when... Even though we already knew at the beginning they were all split, and everybody was in an understandable place from where they initially were, but I definitely did, of course, it did start to be enjoyable, and it did start to pick up once you got to the halfway point. Gangs back together, everybody's like trying to figure out what essentially they want to do. It's just that one of the positives that would have been able to go through if they made this a television series is that they would have been able to go through and actually, like, focus in again on, like, anything specific that they would have to focus on for a film production over a television series production. But as soon as the gang's back together, they basically go into this incredible, well, this just this workaholic montage where you know exactly what they're doing because it's already been stated previously what they were doing. They're basically doing everything that they were doing in the original television series, and there wasn't necessarily much of a uh, split off from the rest of what they were doing before. And then, of course, with the with the um, like heartfelt where it's like, okay, we were able to get all this done within two weeks, but something feels wrong, and the ending is a little rushed, and we don't know what to do, but all I need to do is add this one incredibly stressful and strenuous four to five minute sequence... But it would literally just mean none of us would get to sleep for the next two weeks. And everybody was like, oh yeah, no, we've already done this before. We've done this song and dance and we're really passionate and we only need your okay. We are okay with this. If you think it's wrong, we all think it's wrong. And we are going to be able to go back into the editing bay and actually be able to bring this one scene to life that's actually going to be able to give you cadence and satisfaction with this product that you made. And then it's like... Everybody's going home about it. Yes, we're all going to be jumping back into the swing of things. And then hard cut to two weeks later. And it was just, oh, well, I guess they I guess they were able to do it 
but nobody seemed like it was because uh, I guess it was like, oh yeah, their rationale was you've seen this exact same scenario play out in season one, so then why would we need to like show the characters undergoing this trial again with the exact same circumstances but in a more positive light? So yeah, that's it's those are basically my gripes with the series. And if it I was just able to go off of that alone, then you wouldn't then you'd be surprised, like, why the hell did you like it so much? Why would you give it an eight? And it's just kind of like, yeah, well, no, it's just that everything else slaps. It's just that every because everybody is still moving forward. Everybody is still trying to achieve what they were going through. And now they have a bit of experience. Everybody's trying to go out and live on their own and trying to be able to figure out the way that they're able to incorporate all of their passions and all of their work and try and still manage a decent uh, like life and schedule outside of it. And the fact that they're still able to, after all of this, improve and they're all able to get themselves out a specific rut in comparison to what everybody else was um, trying to emulate. It was definitely nice to see that even though everybody was incredibly jaded for obvious reasons on why their original product got halted, that they were still able to step back up and do it again. And it was, yeah, and it was definitely understandable considering that Miyamori literally almost just breaks down and, like, fucking... (laughs) <laughs> just she almost just lies down in defeat in the middle of a road and it's just kind of like oh my god this is going to happen again we're going to get canceled again we're going to have to halt production again and everybody's in the middle of it and everything's going to go wrong but they were able to at least have a really a good a good strong stand up scene i'm trying to think if i liked the um anime series rendition of the walking through a production uh boards strut I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think if it was the directors was better or if Miyamori and the uh, production assistants was better. And off the bat, I would still think it was God, unfortunately I still have to say that it would have been the original series as well because the movies is like really good, especially with like the combat and the cut that they were able to go through and seeing the two-woman army just completely strut through this entire complete cavalcade of, you know, committees and productions and setbacks and negative connotations and everything and i thought it was a really cool scene it's just that even without the flash i i still think because it's a replica i still think the original did it better because there was that build-up for like 12 episodes of nothing barely anything going right for any of the any of these people and getting their adaptation in the second half of the series like done but being set up by roadblocks consistently by publishers and producers and editors and assistants and not being able to go through and have a good conversation with anybody to like ask them for help because it's just like seriously you're not giving us any direction but every single time we decide to propose something to you you always like give it back with a big fucking thumbs down and a middle finger in the other hand just telling us to go fuck ourselves because it's it's just an adaptation just do the work and adapt the material and it's like okay well we need specific recommendations and specific approvals that you aren't giving and you're saying that you're approving but in reality it's not and you want us to change it at the last minute completely rendering two to three works of work meaningless see (laughs) yeah i definitely it's it's nice that i'm actually getting back into this because i'm still just as passionate about shirobako as i was in 2015 than i than as i am now which is which is nice to see i don't think i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it like a handful of other series i mentioned previously but it's just always a good recommendation to literally anybody I can go through. Maybe a good recommendation after 
watching a handful of anime, so it's just kind of like you've got a general idea about why these people are passionate and what exactly they're trying to create in their stead. Um, but yeah, at least getting back to just a little bit more talk about um, the film rather than the anime as well, because it's just... Unfortunately, that is a problem with it being original, is that it calls back to itself so many times that it's a little bit of a problem child and not being able to find its own voice, even though they're creating a film. And it's and it sounds like I'm giving it a lot more negative flack than I am giving it positive, but like there was not it was really it was like it was poignant, it was emotional. I could definitely understand why they were in that rut and why they were kind of like in the position that they started out with, but it was definitely a nice gradual um, increase and a good bit of momentum like after those first 25 minutes where it's like you realize where everybody is and why everybody's there and why they're in this kind of rut and the fact that everything from then on is almost uphill it it was definitely awkward in in the for the first uh, part of it but then there was nothing negative i could say like leading up to it and then bringing up to my favorite part of the film which was definitely those for that four to five minute extra cut or scene that they implemented considering that no we didn't end up getting the behind the scenes look and the and how exactly everybody inside the department and all the staff were able to consolidate all their resources and their time and their talents to make this scene happen but the fact that we were still able to get the fruit of their labor at the very end of it instead of that is more than enough as being a satisfying number and more than enough of a satisfying way to end this film as a as a one-off piece of its own because they they make this extra like three four to five minute long not necessarily epilogue but like piece in the falling action like with it being an incredibly bombastic action scene and even though none of the characters inside of the film we've been able to get used to and become accustomed to and like gain a relationship between any of them but it still feels like the passion that came behind the characters, which in turn was the passion that came out of everybody who worked on this film in general. You could still feel that emulating from every cut and every section of that final scene. And it was without a doubt my favorite part of the movie, as well as it being um, a screening inside of a film. You ended up getting like the surround sound and the big bombastic like subwoofers in the base and just everything like crashing around this explosive action scene that concluded the film inside of the film it was a really good time and like that's that's the very least i can say even with all the faults that i was able to line up before it was a really really good time and the little tidbit of a screener and preview the fact that they closed on a whiteboard saying that they are going to be working on pre-production of Ariel Girls Season 3. The fact that at some point in time in the next four years or so, we're going to be getting another Shiro Bako. It's leaving me incredibly excited. And so if there is any recommendation I can give to the end of this, if you decided to listen on through, watch the series again. And after that's the case, go and watch the film because it's definitely a fun time for anybody who loves watching more of Shiro Bako. As well as leading all of this into a whole, as a really decent transition since in the original Shirobako, one of the characters, quote-unquote, that they ended up getting help from in the end and in the middle of one of their most tumultuous production cycles ever was just literally Hideaki Anno. <laughs> like, it's... 
I can't even remember if they tried to hide it and they tried to like give this dude a different name, but it was like, he's got couches with the colors of the different AV units inside of his own place. He's got a like model of a battleship because of his fascination of like naval and military uses. Like this guy who is also so entailed and in-depth inside of the anime industry as a whole, just like bringing out such random pieces of animation trivia and being incredibly giddy as well as just excited and just proud to actually be able to have those connections and have that knowledge. Knowledge that is incredibly imperative towards what the staff is able to go through and actually in the 11th hour find their one missing piece all thanks to like one of the most legendary figures in anime history himself like it's probably one of my favorite like cameos not only just in anime but just in just regular fiction like the fact that Hideaki Anno makes a cameo in this original anime series about making anime was just like such a <laughs> like not not selling it short and not like laughing at it because it's just like comical but i'm surprised that of all the people that they were able to go through and that ano was actually that interested in being a part of it it was just nothing short of sublime and it was just like such a really funny nod on top of it being integral to the plot and being fit in together so seamlessly with the rest of this entire story and crew and characters like oh man it was <laughs> it was brilliant now i'm going to give more of an abridged rendition of my thoughts on evangelion here because it is going to be a project that I'm going to be working on with a buddy of mine where we're going to be possibly doing a handful of episodes or one incredibly long episode on the timeline and the entire franchise overview of Evangelion. So at the very least, I can give my two cents on what I thought about the film as a whole without getting too deep into it and like getting real into the meat of things because that will come up. And I'm hopefully going to be able to get all of those completed in the episodes to come. But at the very least, like I said before, in terms of the spoilers, it was a really satisfying conclusion. That is the very least that you can ask for people who have been waiting on this film to come out for nine years. We had... Rebuild 1 in 2007, we had Rebuild 2 in 2009, and then we had the third Rebuild in 2012. And between the previews, the teaser trailers, the like handful of minutes of footage that they were able to intersplice and drop over the course of several years, the nine-year wait, the fact that it was still able to be relatively poignant and satisfying regardless of the hype regardless of the weight regardless of the amount of time that was going through and having to actually consolidate and conclude this whole franchise the fact that Anno and his team at Kara were able to do it to such a sublime degree of mastery as I truly believe that Anno is an auteur in his own right it's like, they did it. <laughs> they were actually able to conclude this entire franchise, or at least Anno's involvement with this franchise, they were able to give it finality, they were able to give it meaning, 
and a true semblance of humanity and the strive to live and move forward. I will admit it was a little tough to like go through and read basically all of the extra things that I missed because this is a really, really dense film. So not only is it two and a half hours, it's got pieces of work and pieces of lore and knowledge from not only the Evangelion television series, not only the end of Evangelion, not only the rebuilds that came before it, but even the Evangelion manga, which unfortunately I hadn't necessarily read leading up to this, but it's definitely poignant to say that there are differences in names and specific characters into where before any of this, if you just watched the films and the TV series, like a lot of these really what are supposed to be poignant and like really mind-blowing revelations, they were already out in the manga, which was definitely an odd feeling to kind of have to process in the sense that, yeah, guess what? You still don't know anything about Evangelion. You still haven't even breached the surface. And it's so... It's definitely interesting considering that I would have to, at some point, go back and now, with the knowledge that I now know, re-watch Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 again, but it's going to be so far off in that case that I feel like with the knowledge that I was able to like gain from just letting the film settle, let it process in my mind, let it steep, go look up the holes you were missing online, go through the fan wikis, go through the manga, and go through all of these extra pieces, the fact that it was still this coherent and the fact that it was still able to shed light and give different perspective on characters that we have seen for and known for 25 years is still like a testament to like what Anno is able to accomplish with this world. And in comparison to Shiro Bako, while this film, after its opening fight, is able to go into something in, in, in a same vein of melancholy and slowness and hopefulness... Even after all, like like this would have been, like this is also like kind of a perfect film. Like even in the midst of quarantine, even in the midst of COVID, where it's just kind of like all these people helping each other in the face of adversity, in the face of cataclysm, in the face of just not really a well apocalypse in their eyes, but just a a grand scale and change for the rest of it, and still being hopeful and still being anywhere positive towards any of the scenarios and the circumstances that have befallen them is definitely a testament to the human spirit and how being able to like live with each other and depend on each other is definitely one of like a prominent and major theme that's going through but yeah it's just like the setup the gravitas the payoffs on a lot of these characters and how they were able to just go through and try and adapt, but not only adapt through this long-running series and still be able to strive and overcome all of the odds that were laid out in front of them, like very much in an old classic Studio Gainax fashion was something incredibly uplifting, and it was really nice to see that kind of translate over to the characters. With Shinji also being ostensibly like not really the main character for most of it. 
it was definitely just nice to see like everybody else come together and have all these references and all of these different people collide and try and help him and try and even though he was able to survive unfortunately but not move past the trauma that he has gone through over basically 25 years of film an entire television series and three rebuild films the fact that he's still able to hope and move forward in the end was definitely like a testament to how far that Shinji was able to go through. And even with the curse of Evangelion laid upon his shoulders, in this film, he was finally able to grow up. He was finally able to move past the hate and just let go of the things that were his mistakes, that were his negativity, that were his hedgehog's dilemma, that were his relationships to everybody around him. He was still able to improve as a person. And that's definitely one of the major through lines that Anno has been able to incorporate into all of his works. And everything that he has been able to strive to just put in your put in everybody's face where it was just kind of like sure he wasn't as direct in the original Evangelion series and it's still more than enough miles ahead of anything that a lot of other studios and shows have been able to accomplish in their own right. But how he has been able to evolve as a person working on just Evangelion as a whole. Going through Evangelion, all of his negativity, all of his stress, all of his strife, all of his hatred, and then evolve it into what is essentially one of the most hopeful and energetic messages inside of film is just nothing short of a testament to what this man was able to accomplish with this essential brainchild of his on his own. But now that he's able to finally let it go and make peace with this part of his life and with this work, I can only hope for him all the best in the future and just thank him for having such a satisfying end to Evangelion. But at least for these episodes coming up, my end of Evangelion is far from over. So hopefully you'll be able to look forward to that. And hopefully I'll be able to um, bring it up to a standard that will be able to incorporate new people into this series and try and be able to make their own experience from this work of fiction as I have. Thanks. Have a good night.